Welcome to the first of our new podcast series, Tomra Talks Circular, where we explore how businesses, municipalities and governments are collaborating towards a circular economy. This new podcast series today will explain the practicalities of transitioning business and government frameworks to circular economy practices. Bringing real-life examples from the front line, circular leader Tomra and their guests will talk through the latest developments from groundbreaking research to state-of-the-art technologies. In this podcast, listeners will learn how Tomra's circular economy division is spearheading a whole new approach to waste management. I'm Vanessa Lorenz, and our guest today is Dr. Volker Raymond, Executive Vice President, who also heads up the Circular Economy Division at Tomra. Volker, welcome. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Tomra's been in the business of circular waste management for a long time, for almost 50 years, and it's the market leader, I believe, in every region that it operates. So in a nutshell, if you can be objective, what exactly does Tomra do and what does it do particularly well? Yes, Tomra is uh, nearly 50 years old. Tomra was founded in 1972, and it was founded on the idea of developing an automatic solution for the return of refillable bottles. Tomra has been in the business of, you could say, circular economy for 50 years. We are, we are, we are not just jumping on this train. It's also the biggest part of our business, solutions for return of beverage containers, typically in deposit systems. That is one part of Tomra's business. Uh, as I said, the biggest part. The other part are sorting solutions, automatic sorting solutions for different types of materials, typically in waste streams in the recycling sector, where we sort different materials into clean, pure fractions to, you know, to allow them to be recyclable. And then we also have a business where we use the same technologies for the sorting of food, food that is automatically harvested and needs to be cleaned up by any foreign material or low quality type of food. And in all three sectors, we are leading. That is correct, Vanessa. Wow. And on top of that, you launched an entirely new division last year. Is that correct? The Circular Economy Division. It's putting you in touch with all sorts of new companies now as a result and every part of the supply chain as well. You're in touch with brand owners. You're in touch now with designers. So why are businesses actually turning to Tomra at this time, do you think, Volker? What are they wanting? Yeah, as we have all have learned that in contrast to previous years where maybe the world was not so interested really in recycling solutions, in the past years, there's a high interest in recycling solutions. We, we can talk for hours what is the reason for that, but there are some good reasons. It started with China closing the borders, not, not accepting the import of plastic waste anymore. On top of that, consumers are genuinely interested in sustainable solutions. We see all the plastics in the ocean. So there's a variety of reasons why this is the case, but it is a fact that recycling is really high on the agenda of everybody today, governments, businesses, and consumers. And what we see is that many people, consumers, but also businesses, struggle with the problem how to make recycling really work, in particularly for plastics. There are some other materials where it works very well, but plastics recycling is not really working well. And big companies, big brand owners have approached us 
and asked, you know, what can we do in order to use more recycled content in our products? What do we need to do in order to design products better to, for recycling? Uh, so they, they really want to make a difference, but they simply don't know how. And we have seen that it is a, a significant problem where people from the value chain need to work together. So that's why we established the Circular Economy Division, where we really focus on holistic solutions. Here we really want to work on solutions for the problem of closing the loop for plastics, which will require our solutions, but also many other solutions from other technology companies. But we feel that Tomra is well positioned with our 50 years of experience in this business to help companies, to help consumers, also help governments developing solutions for closing the loop of plastics. So you would say that circular economy is very high on a lot of people's agenda now. and That's really gone up in the last, what, what do you say, five years, two years? Yeah, three, three to five years, absolutely, mm. yes. Mm. In Europe, closer to home, how realistic do you think everyone is getting in terms of meeting expectations for our ambitious green targets, for example? How realistic do you think is the Green Deal that's being put forward by the EU? I think it is very realistic. And I have to say, I have to give my, you know, my strongest compliments to the EU. Uh, nobody would have believed that they would have been able to come up with such ambitious targets. Also, in a very short time frame, they managed to agree on those targets. I think it was within 24 months, which is kind of unheard of for the EU. And they came up with, from the outside, looks like very ambitious targets. But if we are honest, and all of these targets are achievable, we know which solutions are out there in order to reach those targets. So my view is compliments to the EU to come up with ambitious targets, but targets that are definitely realistic and achievable. Right. What about outside the EU? You're hearing from a lot of companies in America, in Asia as well. Are they getting a lot of pressure put on them to step up the plate to get into the circular economy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Consumers in, in other parts of the world are also worried about sustainability, about plastics in the ocean. Of course, it is more a problem right now of more developed countries. When you live in a poor country, you certainly have bigger problems than that. But the more developed countries in Asia, let's say Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Australia, but also China, who is the biggest producer of plastics and also plastics waste, North America, they are definitely also worried. And they're really looking at the example of Europe. They are quite surprised that Europe dare to come up with those ambitious targets and they are carefully watching our progress. Right. Okay. Interestingly, you have just coupled up with the independent UK consultant Unomia, and you did this to examine a number of waste management practices around Europe. So the findings are out. It's, it's a white paper. It's called the Holistic Resource System. It's just a few. If you could just talk a little bit about why did you do this? What were you actually analysing? And why at this point now did you decide to do this? Yeah, let me start with saying that we are a firm believer in the waste hierarchy. For those who don't know what the waste hierarchy is, the waste hierarchy tells you the first and most important thing you need to do is reduce waste. Uh, so we are firm believer in that. The next step in the hierarchy is if you cannot reduce it, then reuse materials. So don't make 
products for just single use that you throw them away immediately. And only then we come to the recycle. So the waste hierarchy clearly has reduce, reuse, recycle. But it is also a fact that waste will not disappear overnight. Waste is a significant problem. And all projections say waste, the waste volume globally will increase significantly over the years to come. And the problem with, with plastics going into oceans will become worse year by year. So we need to deal with our waste. Waste is an important problem and we need solutions now. So, so we said, uh, let's look at you know, what a proper waste management system needs to look like. A waste management system that will you know, address the problem with waste management in the best possible way with everything we have learned so far, with a target to increase recycling to the you know, highest level possible, again, possible by means that have been demonstrated today. And then we wanted to see, you know, what would the so-called best waste management system be able to achieve with regards to our climate crisis? So with regards to re reduction of CO2 emissions. Because we think that the problem of waste management is completely underestimated. The contribution that a good waste management system can do towards reducing CO2 emissions, it is actually big. Waste management can do a lot. But what we hear in the public opinion today when we talk about CO2 reduction is all about how do we produce energy. You know, it's about our transport systems, mobility. Nobody talks about the proper waste management system and what recycling can contribute here. So it's something nobody has really done before. There are some specific studies here and there, but we want to look in a holistic view, putting together the best practice that is available today. And that's the beauty of, you know, as, as a market leader like Tomra, we have seen so many systems work well or working not so well. So that's why we said, let's put together our knowledge and ask Unomia to do some case studies and try to model what happens if we apply the best possible solutions we have today on a global scale. So solutions that we don't need to develop that are available now, if we applied them all over the world, what would then the contribution of waste management be when it comes to global CO2 emission reduction? And the results are amazing because the modeling from Unomia showed that, you know, we, we can save up to 2.76 billion tons of CO2 if we would apply best practice today on a global scale. And I think that is absolutely amazing. And obviously, if this was implemented more widely, you guys would be leading the resource revolution, wouldn't you? Because, you know, this is not being done at the moment, but we've got a lot of opportunity to make that happen. Thank you for saying that, Vanessa, because I probably forgot to mention, Tomba's vision, our official vision, is leading the resource revolution. Right. Um, what's fascinating is that for many, many years, you've been coming up with hundreds of innovations, and yet this study boils it down to three, three techniques, which, you know, after all these years of it being in the industry, uh, it's remarkably simple. But can you tell us a little bit more about that? What are these three techniques? First of all, let me say, you know, of, of course it sounds simple, but it is not simple. I mean, when you come out with such a study and the results, you also need to make the message simple. Of course, the devil is in the detail and there is a lot of work behind it. 
but it is true. We found that three fundamental systems are unnecessary in order to collect as many material possible to make it available for recycling. And the three systems are, first of all, deposit system. A deposit system for beverage contained is unmatched in terms of its performance, especially when it comes to the return rate. Now, it's quite logical. When you when you put a deposit on a uh, packaging object, it gets a value. And if you throw it away, somebody else will pick it up. So deposit systems have an extremely high return rate. So countries like Germany, we're talking about 95 to 98% return rate. This is not possible with any other solution. So deposit systems have really proven their value over the years in many countries in this world. And the high return rate is extremely important because when you want to close a loop, the higher the return rate, the more cycles you can do with one bottles. So actually, with 100 bottles with a high return rate, you can produce several hundred, five, six hundred new bottles out of that, which sounds non-intuitive in the beginning. But that's the amazing part, if you think about it, because you're doing many cycles with it. And if you want to do many cycles, a very high collection rate is important. And deposit systems are unbeatable when it comes to the return rate. The second part of it is that a separate collection of certain types of material is important in order to allow high recycling rates for these types of materials. Examples for that are well-established systems like glass, paper, and most importantly, the so-called wet waste, organic waste. Because if you collect those material groups separately, you can really allow recycling of these materials. Right. If, if paper gets contaminated with organics, it gets much more difficult. So a separate collection is really very important for some of those materials. Interestingly enough, not necessarily for plastics, what our studies showed. And that brings me to the third element, that is the so-called mixed waste sorting. Today, the residual waste is untouched in every country in this world. The residual waste is untreated and normally ends up in either landfills or incineration plants. Just to cut in there, when you say residual waste, it's the leftovers. It's things that are not caught in separated in exactly. separation, it's not in, in order in deposits, it's a leftovers. Exactly. It's a leftovers that, mm. that you put into your, some call it municipal solid waste. It's mm. a residual waste, typically a gray bin in many households, where you put all the remainders that, where there is no separate collection system for. And this is a rich source of material that is lost today. And we have found that if you really want to achieve high recycling rates, you need to tap into this. You need to do mixed waste sorting. You need to recover all the valuable material that is in there before you put it on landfills or incineration. And the studies showed when it comes to plastics, you have a double effect in there. Because if you burn plastics in incineration plants, that's when you release the embodied energy in plastics. Basically, it's like burning oil. So you release CO2. If you instead take these plastics and make it available for recycling, you replace virgin material with that and you save CO2 there. So you save CO2 two times. First, by not burning it. And secondly, by replacing virgin material. So no energy intensive production of, of new plastics. And, and the results are amazing. So, so these sort, this sort of holistic resource system is really ideal for, for countries that really don't have an already in place system that's working for them. 
would you say? Absolutely. Any, any new country, countries that have already an established, well-functioning separate collection system, they no need to change it. But countries that are planning to, you know, like countries in Eastern Europe, for example, that have no established system, they should go directly to mixed waste sorting, in our opinion. Fantastic. Okay, that's good to know. In terms of the mixed waste sorting, you said before that this is or should become an investment priority. What do you mean by that exactly? Who are you aiming that message at? Are you aiming that at businesses or government or both? It's kind of both, but businesses would not invest into this. It's, it's towards governments. The results are so overwhelming to, that show you, you know, plastics should not be burned in incinerators. And if, I, if you look at Europe, I mean, we have a price for CO2 emissions, and it is very likely that over the next decade, the prices for that will increase significantly. There is also a financial incentive to take out plastics and other good recyclable material before we burn it in incinerators. So we think that is something the world needs to focus on. And the world means it, it probably needs some kind of legislative support in order to go into that direction. But we have also discussed with some first incinerator companies, and we were surprised that they are basically all very positive to that. You know, in the past, there was a kind of competition between either you recycle or you burn it in an incinerator. But the incinerator industry is now also embracing the concept of circular economy, and they see the value of recovering the valuable material out of the material before you burn the residual material where you really cannot do something good with and focus on that one. That would also mean, if you think a little bit long-term, that in the future, there will be less material that needs to be incinerated. So in our view, there's no need for new incinerators. If we take out material in front of incinerators, recover the valuable material, there's no need to build new incinerators. And in our view also, there should not be any new incinerator built without the pre-sorting stage in front of it. And of course, you need an awful lot of extremely clever technology to, to sort through everything in the mixed waste section of things, right? I mean, it would have to be fairly state-of-the-art. Uh, right. And that is also the reason why this is not so established. Just a few years ago, it would not have been possible to do the sorting. But technology has developed uh, to a level that today you can do a, an excellent mixed waste sorting and, and end up with very good, clean fractions of material, even out of mixed waste. And we have demonstrated that. That is one of the areas we have focused on in the past years. And we have demonstrated that in a few demonstration plants in countries like Norway, Sweden, and the Netherlands, to mention. Those countries have opened up for some of these projects. And in the meantime, I think we have realized 10 or so of, of these plants that show very impressive results. Um, all this said, what does Tomer regard as the biggest hurdles affecting how the world manages its waste? And what's your message in response to that? This is not so easy to answer because here we have to distinguish between, let's say, the developed world and the developing world. Let me start with the developing world. Countries in the developing world have no proper waste management system in place. Sometimes we cannot believe it, but there is no waste collection service. They still throw you know, a lot of their waste on open dumps and burn it on open dumps like we used to do it 100 years ago or so. So in, in the developing countries, the biggest hurdle is really 
that they need to implement a proper waste management system. So to start with, waste needs to be collected. If you don't collect the waste from households or, or industries, there's no chance you can ever come to a high recycling rate in this country. This part of the world, my message would be invest into a proper waste management system. And you can learn a lot from other countries in the world how to do it. It costs some money, yes, for sure, but it's definitely worth it for your environment and also for overall society. When we talk about the developed world, what is the biggest hurdle here is certainly that recycling in some parts also costs some money. And recycling is not in itself a business the way it is structured today. The production of virgin plastics, virgin material, is very cheap when the oil price is, is low. And you know, for some years now, the oil price is, is relatively low. So if you leave it to the free market, recycled plastics in some areas has a problem. So somebody would have to pay for it. The good news is that there are already some material, for example, PET bottles. The prices for recycled PET material of highest quality in the past years has been significantly higher than the price of virgin material. Who would have ever believed this? Which basically means brand owners are willing to pay a premium for good quality recycled material. For other materials, this is not yet the case. And we need some kind of financial incentives so that recycling is also competitive to the very low virgin plastic prices. And there are various elements under discussion, again referring to the EU Green Deal, elements like Plastics tax, which would put a tax on virgin plastics material, which then automatically would make recycled plastics more competitive price-wise. Is that being considered? This is already decided by the European Union. So every country has to pay from this year on a plastics tax. What is not clear is it, every country is free to decide how to implement that. So the, a country could say, okay, I just pay it out of my budget. But the expectation is that most countries will try to transfer this tax then to the virgin plastics producers. And in some countries, it is already decided. UK, they have decided on the plastic tax. There is a tax of £240 per ton, which will really give recycled plastics a big boost because this, this will close the gap, the cost gap that we currently have. Countries like Italy and Spain have decided on this and I'm pretty confident that many other countries like Germany, France, that's currently under discussion, will follow with the plastics tax on virgin plastics. There, there are other you know, legislative measures like a mandatory recycled content, which is already decided for PT in the single-use plastics directives. The EU has decided that from 2025 on, 25% of all PT beverage bottles need to be made out of recycled plastics. So those elements will definitely support the development of more infrastructure for plastics recycling. And I'm personally very, very confident because the world wants and needs this to happen for various reasons and the climate crisis being you know, one of the most important ones. The world needs this and I'm very confident that in the next 10 years we will see a big boom in recycling. Uh, if you could deliver one message to business, governments and consumers about what they must do now, what would you say? This is a very generic question. If, and as you ask this, I would say peace on earth. <laughs> but uh, as we are talking about circular economy, let me uh, you know, refer here more to circular economy. 
And the message is, of course, a different one, depending you know, whether you're business, government, or consumer. My message to business would be make all the packaging products you bring into the market, make them recyclable from the beginning. That's where it all starts. It's a key message. Most businesses have understood this, but many still struggle with that. We don't need multi-materials, as an example. Don't design for aesthetic purposes or for cost. Design your products for recyclability. And secondly, to businesses, increase the recycled content in your products as much as possible. My wish or my message to governments would be support recycling with a few legislative measures. We don't need a lot. And the EU is already doing it, as I just mentioned. Plastics, tax, and mandatory recycled content. They will already do it. Uh, so EU is really you know, fantastic what they have come up with. You cannot leave this to the free market. You need some kind of uh, directions here. And I'm very happy with what the EU is doing. And that would be my message to all other governments in this world. My message to the consumers is, as a consumer, you have the power. And the only reason why many bigger companies, brand owners, and, and also producers of virgin plastics are turning to recycling is because of the pressure from consumers. The consumers of today, they want their companies, the brands they buy, they want them to work sustainable. And they want these companies to not destroy the world as they have been doing it. And I think this consumer push is, is as strong as it has never been before. So continue with that, dear consumers. Don't only buy what is cheapest, but buy what is best for environment, what is best for society. Buy those brands who have a high recycled content in their products. Support those brands who really are serious about a transition to a circular economy. And consumers have a very good understanding if companies are just greenwashing, because you see many companies about that, or are really genuinely interested in a transition towards a circular economy. So consumers, you have big power, you know, support those companies. Volker, thank you. It's been a, a real pleasure to, to hear your insights today. Uh, the next theme of Tomra Talks Circular will be talking beyond this white paper and we'll be hearing from Oliver Lamberts about a waste management model in Norway whose holistic resource system, which you've talked about today, is reaping extraordinary results. So in the meantime, feel free to contact us at tomra.com. And lastly, I'll quote uh, just a quote from the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. He said recently, that for every 10,000 tonnes of waste sent to landfill, 2.8 direct drops are created. But if we recycle the same amount of waste, 9.2 direct jobs are created. So circular economy, it's a win-win for everybody. I'll leave it there. Thank you, Volker. Bye for now. Thank you, Vanessa. Bye.